so we may run into some log trucks. You know, you know the drill. Yep. Just watch for clouds of dust. That's the only thing. If it's running into a little bit, you don't see that cloud of dust coming at you. We check out the two-way radios. <laughs> we use a new bridge here. So this is ten miles in. All right. This is pretty good road. It's not too bad. Hey folks, welcome back to A Talk in the Woods. I'm Lily Horn, the main Mountain Collaborative podcast production intern. This episode is the first of a three-part series chronicling our canoe trip with Susan Adams in the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument. Susan and her husband Mark are recreation managers for the Elliottsville Foundation, which donated 87,000 acres in northern Maine to make a national monument. Susan and Mark have been at this job for nine years, doing community outreach and connecting people with the land. This land could not have become a national monument without their work. In this first episode, Susan drives us into the monument to get to the canoe launch where we will start our trip. Her passion and energy really come through in our conversation. Stay tuned to listen to the entire adventure. My name is Susan Adams, and I'm a recreation manager for Elliottsville Foundation. And my job is, I think I'm pretty much a jack of all trades in the recreation business. I've decided, but I work with Lucas St. Clair and my husband Mark, and we are currently working on the new National Monument and some projects we have going on here. People ask us that all the time. What is it you do? And it's like, I have people that think that we like run sporting camps or something, which we've never done. We, we lived at Lungsus and we had camps there and we had things ready if people, you know, Lucas brought visitors in or other visitors stopped by or whatever, but I don't think anybody want me to run their sporting camps for them. I can't cook that well or anything, so that wouldn't be great. <laughs> so what's our plan for today? Today we're going to go canoeing and river walking maybe and we're going to see some amazing plants. We're going to do two uh, tributaries of the Penobscot River. One is going to be the Cibolus River and the other is going to be um, the East Branch of the Penobscot River. Oh, and then what are we going to do? Hmm. So we're going to, so the Cibolus, we that's why I said river walking. It is a lower level so we may be jumping in and out of the canoe a little bit. Uh, but when we get out to the East Branch, supposedly we'll have uh, some a really good flow. I think it's 1,300 CFS, and um, we'll drift down the river and look for wildlife like eagles and beaver and muskrat and otters and birds. Are we going to be on the? So it's called the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument. Are we going to be on that land, so to speak? We'll be on the water. That, that's a good question. So the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument is on multiple parcels of land that aren't necessarily all connected. So they're what they call inholdings in between. So right now we're on private land that we're crossing, but we have deeded access through this road. The Elliottsville Foundation for work purposes has deeded access yeah. through this road. Yeah. So, and then we'll, I'll show you when we get to the boundary line, even though there were signs there, but they keep disappearing for some reason on this road. <laughs> so we'll be going in and out of the monument lands throughout the afternoon. So you work for Elliottsville Foundation? We have been working for, I keep saying we because of my husband Mark and I have been doing this like kind of as partners all the way through. 
we have been there. I think this is our ninth year we're going into. Supposed to be three. Now we're on nine. <laughs> That's how much fun it's been. Because <laughs> there's just more to do? There is always something to do, yes. Um, actually, our reserved rights that we, uh, LHville has um, with the National Park Service go through till 2024. So when those are done, we're done. But I am a volunteer in parks, a VIP for the National Park Service, and I, I hope to continue that and uh, do some work over on the Appalachian Trail Corridor and come back here and volunteer as well. Are there more hours in your day than other normal people? Like it sounds like you need like 30 hours in a day to do your job or everything that you're doing some, and volunteering. Some days we do and you know what? A lot of times it's too many Zoom meetings that I can just use the excuse I'm going out into the woods. That's why I jumped on this with you. I'm going in the woods, I'm going on the water. I'm super happy. So, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of meeting times. I do more community outreach um, oftentimes than Mark does unless there's a project and then I get him to help. And everything, but he takes care of a lot of the infrastructure that Elliotsville has in the Patton, Maine area now, with a, a place that we have that we can live in and entertain guests and have a community garden that we planted fruit trees with. Um, That's the farmhouse. Children, yep. Yeah. And yeah, so Mark kind of takes care of all that stuff and, and uh, maintenance and equipment, you know, like today's spending half two hours just registering all the trailers and vehicles and everything <laughs> and then uh yeah and i do i really enjoy community outreach sometimes i i do need to learn the word no and that's when the 30 hours a day comes into play yeah makes sense so going back a bit how did you first get connected with elliott's hill foundation like what were the circumstances you know what what was the first conversations like? What did you What did you know, and then what did you come to find out? I guess yeah, that was really interesting. Well, we first of all we had been to some meetings in Millinocket, listening about the National Monument way, way back. But, and back um, then it was a national park. That was the proposal, right? Yeah, that yeah. was way back, and it was yeah, it was totally different. Um, and we were just listening, you know, and thinking about it and everything. I mean, I love national parks. I go to every national park, national monument, national park unit I can anywhere in the country, whenever I'm around, around them, just to see things differently. And I've been to, I've been fortunate to go to quite a few of them. Um, but I just want to learn more about it. And you know, I've, I've, it's funny. I grew up on the coast of Maine, and I literally have spent most of my life in the Northwoods now. So I did know what they were talking about. And everything. And at first, you're like. Well, what are they talking about? It's a bunch of logging roads and cut over land and things like that. Like, how could this be a national monument or national park? Uh, but when you get up and into the woods and you walk into the woods, that's when you see the benefits of everything. And Roxanne had purchased a lot of cut over land and logged over land. It wasn't going anywhere at that time. You know, the industry wasn't doing a lot. I mean, they were still selling wood when they could, but, you know, we watched know families that had been in the logging industry for years go out of business and things like that so we're like well you know the trees are still growing and this is a good thing so then I can't remember how oh a, a really good friend of mine that was volunteering for me at the time at Sugarloaf where I was working um, said I just met this guy he came to talk to our Trout Unlimited chapter and he said he, I, he asked me if I knew of anybody um, they were looking for somebody to come up and, and work on the land and live on the land. 
be up here in this area. And he asked if I knew anybody, and I thought of you and Mark. <laughs> and he said, is it okay if I give him your information? I said, sure, go ahead, or whatever. He gave me his information, something, and we got in touch. It took a long time for us to say yes. I mean, we kind of talked back and forth, and like, because we really weren't sure what it is we were doing and what we would be doing. And, um, you know, going from, I think we had 80, 78 acres at, um, we were, taking care of for Chawunky Foundation and running our own business on the West Branch to 87,564 acres was a little bit of a leap. So that was, it took, you know, we're old enough to know better. <laughs> Just wise enough to, okay, let's get to this. But once you meet Lucas and his, you know, I think it was Roxanne that once said, everybody loves Lucas. Well, and he is, he's a very lovable person, but he also, if he sees something that's good and he wants to make it happen, he's, he's driven that way and I, I like it. Like, it's all good. So were you living in Millinocket at the time? Or? No, we were up on the West Branch of the Penobscot, Big Eddie. So you're like living in Big Eddie. Yeah, we've never lived anywhere, except Patton's the first actual organized town we've ever lived in since we've been married. We've always lived in unorganized territory. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you were basically uh, taking care of Chewankee's Big Eddie campground on the West Branch of the Penobscot River. Well, or, we went to work for Chewankee, but we had already been there for quite a few years, even when the Praise owned it. Um, Mark and I um, had our own, we started out as whitewater guides, working with Sandy and John Connolly, and then we um, started our own whitewater photography business. and that did really well for a long time and we could be independent. We hired one or two people a year, um, shot multiple, I don't know, we were anywhere from four to eight or more companies a day on the river. Logistically, it was crazy, but I love logistics, so that was my favorite part of it all, I think. And sitting by the river reading while you're waiting for boats or fishing. I like to fly fish too. And we had our son and it was a, what a great place to bring a child up beside the river and everything, so. It was great. So we did that for um, until the praise sold Big Eddie, and then I think Chewanki had it for a couple of years before you know we started working for them. And then we did both. We did. And by then, the digital age had anybody can take a photograph on the river, or they could pull photographs off of the videos, things like that. That so that was starting to get a little less and a little less. We're like, well, we should probably do something else to supplement because we call, their, call ourselves oppies. We're old, outdoor, poor professionals. So you kind of just do everything. That's what I said. Like, wait. I'm so this is like the this is like another version of yuppie. Yeah, but it's oppies. Old, old, say that again. Oppies. Well, there were yuppies, young outdoor poor professionals, and then there were oppies, old outdoor poor professionals. See, you guys are like in the city. You're yuppies, but we never had that. Yeah. Well, I'm not young anymore, so I can't but, say. Were you younger than me? But it's better. Um, so oppies, that's better than oopies, I guess. What are oopies? Well, old outdoor. You, you know, the other way to pronounce oppies. it. Oppies. Yeah. Oh, oopies. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. But that's what that's what we became, and you know what? We everybody's always saying like somebody. Oh, my orthopedic guy the other day said, "Oh, you're living the dream," and I'm like, maybe <laughs> sometimes. But yeah, we did already. We flipped houses and things like that that we lived in, and and. Uh, Worked for Sugarloaf for a, oh, quite a while. Mark was the ski patrol director over at Sugarloaf for a while, and I did some volunteer work and things like that. I worked for the volunteers in the marketing department, but that was because our son had to go to school in a regular school. I wasn't going to homeschool him. I did that a little bit, but not a lot. So, did you guys live in Carabasa Valley? We live in Wyman Township, unorganized territory. 
know, we couldn't live in Carabas, it was too organized for us. We live four miles away. <laughs> we live about a mile from the Appalachian Trail. Oh, so we're on, oh, we're on Elliottsville land right now. So, I mean, I'm sorry, Catan Woods and Waters National Monument land. Your land. This is your land. So what are we what are we looking at? We're looking at this beautiful view. We can stop here and kind of take it in. You know what that is? That looks like Katahdin. Yes, it is. Very good. That's Katahdin. Can I take a picture? Yeah. We're about the same height right now here as um, the new visitor contact station will be. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it'll be, yeah. So it'll have some nice views and everything. We're almost down to the Sibos River Road now, but I will show you a couple more mountains because we'll see them from the river too, but we'll be going away from them. So, so yeah, this is the cool part of, that's the neat part of the National Monument for me is like when you're in Millinocket or over on the West Branch, you have a totally different view of Katahdin than you do here. So you're looking up into North Basin here. And then, you know, everything from the West Branch, you're looking at the South Side of Katahdin. So it's totally different. I've had people come up when we're up at the Overlook on the Loop Road here for the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument that have stood there and told me, what mountain is that? And they're from Millinocket. It's just a completely unfamiliar profile. Yeah, That's the it's thing. crazy, crazy. Most people see it from a certain angle and then hardly anyone has seen it from this side. Exactly, exactly. And now they can. They can come to the Loop Road and it's a great overlook. It was a it was a big log yard up there, and we put some seed out, and put some picnic tables up there in a bathroom, and a little uh, vault toilet, and it became an overlook. It's so cool because I can bring my 80-year-old, now almost 90-year-old dad, to sit at that picnic table and have lunch, and he can tell me about when he used to climb the tub. But he can't get up there anymore, and you can't drive through Baxter and see but little glimpses of Katahdin now and everything. It's awesome if you can still get up there. Actually, did climb it just a couple of years ago again, but if you can't anymore, why not be able to pull up there and look at that? And we have so many people here, especially in this area, older people that love to ride these gravel roads at night. It's like, they, that's what they do. They go out and they relax and drive around and see what they see for animals or whatever. And go fiddleheading raspberries. This is Lunkasu Mountain, or Lunkasus, whichever way you want to say it. And the East Branch is just over down in there in the woods. So we'll be going by that in just a little bit. So I assume Lunkasu or Lunkasu is a Penobscot? Yes, and I'm not word. pronouncing it correctly at all. And I don't know the exact interpretation, but what some people have told me is that it means like a large wild animal or wild cat type animal, but I'm no authority whatsoever. So this is the Sabos River Road, and we're coming right up to where the um, new the road is, this, the north road to the visitor contact station is going to be. Road if work gates, ahead. If the gates open, we might just zip right up there right now. So you don't work for the park service? Nope. No. Volunteer, I volunteered for them for quite a few years. Mark and I both worked as volunteers and partners. I guess now it's the Friends of Katahdin Waters and Waters are official partners. You have to make it official or whatever. But um, before that, we were just, you know, volunteers. We filled up the volunteer form and helped them out. 
any way we could. It was tough when we first got up here. We were kind of supposed to do some outreach to the locals and things like that, you know, and start to get to know them and answer their questions, things like that. And it was really tough, like with the older people. But so I connected with a couple of people at the Katahdin schools, and one of them is this amazing woman, Gail Pocock, and she did their after-school program. And I said, I'll get OSI. Um, mountain bikes in here will you bring kids down and they brought the school bus down because the school is right here at the end of the sermon lumber road they brought the school bus in 11 miles in by dirt road we met them at the top and escorted them in to make sure there were no log trucks or anything you know make sure it was a safe trip in and we took the kids biking along this road this is the um new uh, Lunxus campsites that are being put in this year and this is the group sites right here. We made sure it was big enough to pull a school bus in there because it's really important for us to get the youth in here. And I love that. that I love that about the Park Service. There's a wonderful program called the Katahdin Learning Project that is sponsored by the Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters. There's a young woman by the name of Kayla Rush that's amazing and um, gets the kids in here. It's great. And then we have a lot of camp groups that come down the East Branch. And so they'll, they'll be over here at this area more the group sites and then we had to move them up from the boat launch area it wasn't a very good place anyway and then this is um Lunkasu camps up here on our left can't see them because it's nice and overgrown they're not used anymore for that where they're used these guys will stay here the trail crew will use some of the cabins and stuff they're just primitive cabins so we're entering in the Lunkasu uh camp uh yeah, yeah sporting this is camp the area whole Lunkasus area they call it the Lunkasus boat launch area so, uh, did you guys live at Lunkasu for a we while? Did in the summers, yep. We first moved here in July. So, yeah, for that summer we were here, and then we found rentals in the winter. Because it became year-round, we started grooming trails for skiing up north, and we were kept pretty busy, so. And, and what were you doing in the summer living at Lunkasu? Lunkasu, we, um, we were working on infrastructure, so we put in campsites, picnic tables, um, trail, a couple little trails. We put in, um, we wanted a couple little paths that would get people out of their car and seeing something. So we did, I named it Lynx Pond, a little pond trail. And then there was an Esker trail that we put in um, to get people down out of their car to see some, see some of the beauty. Because you can drive along on a road like this and there can be a beautiful pond, you know, a hundred feet in the woods and you don't see it when it's like this, this time of year. So um, we created um, a couple little places like that for people. Um, and then we, what else did we do? Bathrooms, we put in multiple vault toilets. Had the Amish build the tops for us, it was awesome. And then the Mennonites would bring them and deliver them and pop the tops on top of those. We um, made a campsite. It was a really mess into Sandbank campsite. The only real, well, not only vehicle access camping in the monument right now until this new Lancashire uh, part opens up. And we put, um, we looked at it, and it was really gross and horrible and it had been abuse. And the warden told us we should close it off and keep everybody out and we chose to take the other way and we put in a beautiful new vault toilet, bathroom, put in beautiful new big picnic tables, built two fire rings, put up some signs that said leave no trace and asked people to get a main forest service fire permit put a broom in the bathroom and I guarantee you that broom is still there eight years later so people do that I mean I we all believe in the good of people
So Elliott's Hill Foundation owned the land. They were trying to make the case to make it into a national park. It eventually was a national monument in the park within the Park Service, which it is today. And so at the time, you're building infrastructure to really try to get people on board on the idea, like what, this, what this has to offer. Exactly, just come check it out. Come check it out, come see what there is here. Don't say it can't be a national park. It's not national park worthy as a national park unit without coming and checking it out yourself. And I have stood up there on that overlook in the middle of the summer when everything's so green and lush. And I have stood there and had somebody pull up in a car from Arizona and think it's the most amazing thing they've ever seen. And I've stood up in Bryce Canyon in the morning and sat there and drank my coffee and looked at the hoodoos and felt the same way. It's just like, it's because it's something different. I mean, this lush greenness, it's like so many people appreciate what we take for granted. Just like dark skies, things like that. It's like we're fortunate what we have up here. And it is hard to visualize, you know, when you're taking it for granted. You know, it's hard not to take it for granted. But all these, as you know, Brian, all these huge tracks that when we were growing up where we were used to the North Main Woods and, you know, acres and acres and acres of Great Northern and everyone owning all this land now being broken up and broken up and broken up into smaller and smaller units. And people coming in, it's like they might not want everybody or a snowmobile trail or whatever to go through their land. So it's a little bit scary. And so when we can take this 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 type of acreage, like 87,000 acres or up to 100,000 acres, we hope at some point, um, to make it so it's all cohesive and you can move around without going through other people's land and things like that. Um, if we can do that, that's wonderful because that means my great, well, let's go for grandchildren first. My grandchildren can do this and enjoy this and see and see this beauty and everything. And it's, I also think of it as a wonderful buffer for Baxter State Park. I love Baxter with all my heart. I started going to, I climbed it and started camping there when we were less than five years old with my family. My mom was a main guide and worked up there and I started going to camp at the foot of Katahdin when I was eight years old. I mean, I love it and I want it protected too. And it's a different type of wilderness than what we have. It's like the back, the back country to the front country. It's, it's wonderful. And this, like I said, this allows access for people like my dad to drive up there and sit at a picnic table and talk about his days on Katahdin. So it's, it's, there's something for everybody and I think it all serves a purpose. And the, my one number one reason though for really jumping on board with all this was to protect the watershed and I saw greater protection of the Penobscot watershed by doing this. I told you I grew up in Penobscot Bay and the reason I got into environmental studied environmental studies and everything else was when I was a little girl they closed our flats so we couldn't clam anymore or anything and it was all from the pollution from above coming down that river and it's, if you look at a watershed map of the Penobscot it's, it's huge. It's one of the largest watersheds I think, in, in New England, anyway. Yeah. So they closed the flats because of pollution, not, yeah. 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 Well, between, the, yeah, there was paper companies, just, I mean, I did a lot of research when I worked with Sandy Neely on the um, uh, Big A, and back then we couldn't Google anything, so we had to go into the offices of, like, the EPA and places like that, and I found out that all they do is pay fines. It was cheaper for them to not mitigate what they were supposed to do, but just pay the fines. And it was just like, I was like, no, I mean, it's never going to get any better, you know, if they don't, um, they aren't held accountable. Unfortunately, they almost they had to go out of business to make a huge difference, I feel like. 
and they did now, and the water's clearer and cleaner. Admittedly, it's been to Belfast lately. Belfast was, when I was growing up, was gross. And it's lovely now. It's become a wonderful part of Maine that people love, and more people are moving to the area. And so things have changed that way. And the Penobscot even, I went with a friend one day in his drift boat and fished um, down from, I think it was below Weldon Dam on the Penobscot River. And it was, you could see, you know, three feet down, clear gravel, you know, bottom. It was just beautiful. I was like, how long, you know, how long has it been like that? I've seen the whole evolution and I, I'm afraid that we're not doing enough fast enough to save it all for future generations. So what do you fear? What are you worried about? I, I'm worried, I'm really worried about climate change. I'm worried about the species up here. I'm worried about the water temperature dropping, you know, warming up and warming up and the lower water, we're not getting the precipitation we used to get. I mean, I probably shouldn't worry so much, but I think I come from a family of worriers, so. But I'm an environmental worrier. I guess that's it. And, and you know, I'm old enough that when I went to college and wanted to do something, they didn't even have a program in environmental studies yet. It was a, um, it was like I had to make up my own courses and I did an independent study to do it. And that was at the University of Maine. So it's not, it's, it's fairly recent that all this stuff is happening and people are jumping on board. I hope it's recent enough and I hope there's enough being integrated into our grade schools, uh, middle schools, and high schools to make a difference because that's where we really have to go. It can't come at a college level. It has to, we have to bring these kids into the monument. That's why the Katahdin Learning Project is so amazing and the Kayla Rushes and um, Gail Pococks are so important because they're local people getting their community out here and using this. The first thing Mark and I did, one of the most fun things we did, I think the second year we were here, it might have been the first year in the fall, is they were doing a park uh, a park for every classroom, or what was it called? A kid in every park, the park service was. And so Acadia was having all these special programs and things. I got I got the principal to let me bring a group of kids down, fourth graders, and we went to um, Acadia, and they went out on a boat to Cranberry Island, and they saw seals and osprey and eagles, and they got a lecture from a ranger um, who mentioned to them they should leave no trace and take nothing but memories and photos with them. And then we went to Sand Beach, and the kids played there, and some of them touched the ocean. They're just living Maine their whole lives, touched the ocean for the first time. Some kid goes screaming around Mark, running around him, soaking wet, sand all over his clothing, no bathing suits. It was in the fall. And uh, Mark, and this kid goes, best time ever. And Mark is like, I thought he was gonna cry. And it was so wonderful, and it's just like, it made the whole day, and all the, whatever was a pain, to get down there and do all that stuff worthwhile to him. And then we're leaving and the teacher goes, the teacher's handing out baggies and the kids are filling their baggies with sand and they're carrying them up the stairs. I said, no, you can't take that with you. And, and uh, I said, remember what she said about take only memories and photos. This will be left here for future generations. However, the kids' clothing were so covered in sand except that school bus. I don't know who had to clean that bus, but they had plenty of sand. But it was wonderful. That's neat little things and neat little views. And those kids now are in uh, high school. I have to think, like between, you think about Baxter State Park, the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument, um, the Appalachian Mountain Club, uh, uh, Nature Conservancy, New England Outdoor Center. Like if you grew up in this area and you love the outdoors and 
you are okay and you're good at interacting with people um, and you're willing to work hard, like that's, you've got it made in terms of job opportunities. I mean, you don't necessarily need to have a college degree, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff for someone to do now because of all these different types of, you know, outdoor recreational investments that are happening and and, and it's is. and it's hard to find good people to do it's very hard and there is definitely a need for those people um there's several initiatives going on in the region right now um i tell you the our little community college that deb roundtree heads up over in east millinocket is just wonderful they tried one year a couple years to have and did graduate a few students in outdoor recreation um, they didn't have the buy-in yet at that time but um it's funny you say that because like this program, the Katahdin Learning Project, uh, Outdoor Sports Institute, or Maine Winter Sports, what they did with getting equipment. Most of these kids don't live that kind of life where they even have a pair of cross-country skis or a pair of snowshoes or a, maybe a parent that would even get them out there. Oh, wow. What are we looking at here? Oh, this is the Sibos River. This is beautiful. There's plenty of water. Oh, no, it doesn't. We'll walk through there, but it'll be all right. Yeah, it'll be in the there's like a little cabin up the river. Yeah, somebody's got a little camera there. This is the Sports River going down to the East Branch. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to A Talk in the Woods. For more conversations about Maine's land, water, and people, check out other episodes available wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a product of the Maine Mountain Collaborative, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about our mission, visit mainmountaincollaborative.org.